had a minuscule realization that actually the whole of the Dharma is about non-attachment. The whole of the Dharma, the whole of the teaching is about uh, letting go. So really what I would like to explore <clears throat> perhaps tonight is just a few strands of what, what this means, non-attachment, and what it means in our lives. with a little bit of introspection, a little bit of looking inside, you can actually uh, soon get a sense that it's pretty much possible to attach to anything, absolutely anything whatsoever. Uh, so any aspect of our lives it's possible to uh, have an attachment to, to form some kind of <coughs> problematic relationship with. And of course, a lot of this we're not really even aware of. Uh, but as we begin to, as our mindfulness begins to grow and deepen and become more sensitive, we actually begin to see the levels to which uh, attachment goes in our lives. And so we can, uh, just to give a few examples, we can attach to our uh, bodies, to the way we look. Do I look... Uh, handsome, pretty, attractive, or not, old, young, am I okay in the way I look, do I look stupid? Uh, or when the body gets ill, as it must do, or in pain, or, or, or the aging process, <clears throat> and this uh, very much causes a, a problem for, our, for us in our lives, and the problem is because of the attachment. In itself, the body is not a problem. Uh, we can have attachments to the, the flow, the ebb and flow of our feeling life. And, uh, difficulties around certain emotions, or hanging on, or pushing away certain, certain manifestations of emotion or feeling in our life. <clears throat> it's very, all, all this is extremely common. There is no uh, judgment involved in any of this. This is part of what it is to be human. Our mind states, whether we have a bright mind, a concentrated mind, a sharp mind, or is it dull and agitated, all this, uh, all this can and is a problem for us as human beings. And then, of course, uh, we uh, have attachments to people, uh, and some of that is uh, actually healthy course, for a child to be attached to the, the mother, the parent, for friends to be attached, loved ones. But then we also see, and it's very common to see, that the problems involved in that, the difficulties in, in human relationships. With the roles that we carry out in life, so uh, how we feel we're perceived in a certain role or wanting to cling to a role or wanting to feel somehow uh, important or, or pumped up in a role. All of this, can, attachment can really, it can land and grip anywhere. You might ask actually, well, what is attachment? What, what actually is it? <clears throat> and actually that's uh, it's not, not such an obvious uh, question. 
uh, in a way, um, I remember one teacher giving an example. Attachment is like holding this, whatever it is, bell beater thingy, and <laughs> gripping it tightly. In that gripping, this hand is then not free to be open. It's not free to uh, receive, to create, to act and do. It's stuck in the gripping. This is often what attachment is. Even if it's something inside, something in the world, something physical, something emotional, mental, some idea even, or view. We can get attached to views. But there's some gripping there. And so the mind, the heart... Uh, sometimes the body is not we're not free to respond in creative way in an open way <clears throat> another aspect of what attachment might be is also we might say um, can look at it in terms of a very deeply ingrained habit we have as human beings very very deeply ingrained of pushing away what we don't like something unpleasant is there in the body, in the mind, in the feelings, in the environment, and the almost uh, natural, but the normal tendency is is to to push it away. So that's, although it's a push away, we think of attachment as clinging on to something, but even that pushing in Dharma understanding is is a kind of attachment. And when there's something we want to we want and we grasp it towards ourselves in that way. That's also attachment. So all this is, uh, in a way, the, <clears throat> the manifestations of attachment. And how do we know when attachment is there? Well, there's actually one very simple rule of thumb, is that sooner or later it, it causes suffering. That's, that's uh, what attachment does. And that's why, uh, spiritually speaking, uh, it's of such primary importance to look into the question. So all the, all the great spiritual traditions address this issue of attachment. Now, if we speak about non-attachment, uh, it's quite important <coughs> to be clear that non-attachment doesn't mean a kind of cold aloofness, a kind of, uh, what we might say, detachment, disconnection from ourselves, from our emotions, from our life, from others, from the world. This is really um, perhaps one of the pitfalls of, of potential pitfalls of this kind of path, of a path of awareness, is that it can sometimes for some people at periods slip into a kind of cold, dull, aloof detachment and that is not the uh, place we're heading. So just to be aware of what are the potential pitfalls. Non-attachment, as opposed to detachment, actually has a quality of love in it. It has a quality of warmth and of connection in it. It's not based on fear, <coughs> on fear of something inside ourselves, or fear of something in the world. And probably if we look, if we investigate this question, we see detachment, this 
disconnecting that we do as human beings at times is often actually based on fear, based on self-interest, selfishness sometimes, but often on fear. When, as practice progresses, mindfulness gets quite subtle, it's actually possible to really just be crystal clear about this in ourselves. You can actually notice, if you sit and there's awareness, there's an openness there, an awareness of uh, how the heart is. When there's, you can feel, actually feel it in the body, when there's a little bit of pushing away, hanging on, grabbing towards, you can actually feel the heart close. Sometimes just a little, sometimes very subtle, you can actually feel it close. And in the release of that, in the non-attachment, one can actually feel the heart open, and feel the softening going on. Just to be very clear where, how the heart is actually very much connected in all of this. One important, very important uh, question, I think, to ask ourselves in, in all of this and in this journey is, how actually are we holding the whole question of non-attachment? How are we holding it? How are we looking at it? How are we looking at this aspect of the path and of our journey? Are we judging ourselves for having attachments? Do we have a fixed idea of what we should be and what it should look like? So you get the, the, good, the good meditator syndrome or the good yogi syndrome. And what we're supposed to feel a certain, uh, we're supposed to look a certain way. Very, you know, meek and uh, gentle and or, or whatever, whatever the image is. Just to see what's, what are the constellations of emotion that are around how we're looking at this question of non-attachment. We may have a fixed idea, but actually, the journey into non-attachment, I think we'll find, is a journey into the unknown. It's moving into the unknown, because uh, if we look carefully, most of our life is about attachment. Some of it's very subtle. And so letting go of that is actually uh, uh, a courageous willingness to move into the unknown. We don't actually know what that's going to look like. Are we using this uh, business of non-attachment as just another way to kind of beat up on ourselves, something else to fail with? Oh, another attachment, there I go. Big, what a schmuck I am. When we're looking at this question of attachment in our lives and non-attachment, I feel it's quite important not to make it this sort of um, dry, picky, fault-finding business that we, we're going about looking, ourse- looking at ourselves. So a little while ago a retreatant uh, was saying to me how she went into lunch and there was spaghetti there and uh, she liked spaghetti and she said, oh, that's awful, you know, and... Uh, what's the problem? Spaghetti, it's nice, you know. It's <laughs> uh, and similarly, uh, sometimes the some of the managers and, and myself and a few friends, when uh, England play their football games, we like to trek up to the pub and, uh, and, and watch the football at the pub. <laughs> and uh, it can be quite 
an involved experience quite noisy sometimes. And there's one manager in particular, who I won't say who he is, um, <laughs> and he's really quite, quite um, vocal in his, <laughs> his enthusiasm, his emotional involvement in, in the game. And so there was a very, as part of another discussion, there was a, a very short debate on whether this was attachment and whether it was good or bad and whatnot. And, um, I, for my part, I, I feel that maybe more important uh, is actually the relationship we have to seeing attachment. The relationship we have to seeing attachment. Can we actually be guided in our looking by noticing suffering? In other words, go to the pub, watch the football, have a good time, get a little upset if England lose, lasts about five minutes, then you forget about it. Is that really such a big deal? If we go into the dining room and it's spaghetti and we like it, what's the problem? If there's... (laughs) If there's suffering... Uh, that's an indicator there's some holding going on there's some attachment going on that needs looking at it needs understanding so rather than a dry pickiness um, trying to be Mr. or Mrs. Right meditator actually let the suffering of our life that we can feel let that be our guide because that's what's meaningful to us that's what this path is all about a freedom from suffering Secondly, can there be, in this looking at our attachment, can there be a kindness in it? Absolutely, absolutely indispensable. Can we recognize the humanity of attaching, that human beings do that, that's what we do, that's what minds do to expect it to be uh, perfect is, is just not realistic. <clears throat> Can we have some spaciousness around seeing attachment? So just notice, ah, there's attachment. It's human. Don't have to actually be so identified and so judging of oneself in that process. It's just, ah, here's attachment going on. doesn't have to be so much self involved in it involved in the noticing of it. Sometimes when, when we talk about uh, letting go, um, it may be better, I think sometimes we, we have this agenda really of when we say letting go, how can I let go of something? What we actually mean is how can I get rid of this thing? How can I flush it out the back door <laughs> and have it away from my life? And there's actually quite a lot of aversion in there. So sometimes, perhaps a better way of framing the whole question is actually, can the relationship with something be relaxed? So we talk about letting go. Maybe a better working definition often is, can the relationship be relaxed with this thing? Not getting rid of. Can I actually relax the relationship? Because the relationship is what's key to suffering. So sometimes what this needs, sometimes, is a kind of very allowing consciousness. 
Sometimes we're letting go of things in our life, things in ourselves, aspects of ourselves, or letting go in relationship to another person. And there's grief there. There's a sense of loss. And it's natural and it's part of being human. Can there be an allowing of that? We're not getting rid of these feelings, getting rid of this person. Actually, it may be that the grief, the feelings, uh, need to run their course, need to be open to, need to be allowed. So in the, in the practices that we're doing uh, over the weekend, uh, we're emphasizing this quality of mindfulness a lot bringing awareness, bringing, bringing presence to the present moment. And that's absolutely crucial, you know, it's absolutely fundamental to the path. In a way, we become free as human beings by understanding. And how can we understand if we're not present? Uh, you know, as it says in the casinos in, in Las Vegas, you have to be present to win. You have to... <laughs> You have to be there to learn. Um, I heard that secondhand. I don't actually <laughs> frequent such establishments. But, um, <laughs> uh, so this quality of mindfulness is absolutely key. And one way, of, but as I said, I think in the opening talk, mindfulness is not the whole of the path. Or maybe this morning, mindfulness is not the whole of the path. It's not just about that. We could say we're cultivating mindfulness. We're, we're placing a lot of emphasis on cultivating mindfulness as a very fundamental part of the path. But we're also cultivating a lot of other qualities. So I said in the instructions this morning, when we're coming back to the breath, we're actually cultivating patience as well. Patience with the mind, patience with the body too. So. <clears throat> there, are pra- there are different practices to cultivate many different qualities. And all these Buddhist lists that you may uh, have been unfortunate to hear about, this, all these lists of you know, very dry-sounding qualities that we're supposed to cultivate. Um, <laughs> but actually, there's, when, you, when you get inside these things and make them personal, and it actually really begins to have some juice to it. And one begins to see there's an enormous amount of... Uh, letting go potential in the cultivation of beautiful qualities. Um, patience, equanimity, calmness, stillness, uh, renunciation, mindfulness, concentration. I mean, the list go on and on. Energy. <coughs> uh, morality, ethics that I talked about too. And, these, and these, these qualities, actually, in cultivating them, I think sometimes we actually we think about letting go and we think only in negative terms. I want to, as I said, get rid of this thing. And, and we focus very much on the thing that, that's present that I want to let go of. And that's natural. Here's the thing, that's the problem, let's look at that. <clears throat> and my, my experience and uh, for myself and talking with others and listening to others is so, so common to overlook and underestimate the enormous power in actually cultivating beautiful qualities. Um, They form a basis in our life from which uh, 
our insight, on which our insight can stand, and on which we can grow, and our lives can can uh, flower into fulfillment. Really, uh, there's a line from Bob Dylan, and it's uh, if I remember, he says it, he's talking about something else, but he says it balances uh, like a mattress on a bottle of wine. So if you can see the image, in other words, not very well. Uh, insights that may happen in practice if they don't have this basis of ethics of calmness of equanimity of uh, we may open to insights we may feel that opening but they tend not to really stick because they're a mattress balancing on a bottle of wine they're not on a, on a firm foundation it's so easy to overlook the importance of it so if we take uh, just for, for uh, example, two, two qualities that we are very interested in cultivating. <clears throat> One might be the quality of loving-kindness, of, of love, metta in Pali. And the other might be the quality of calmness that we're cultivating this, this weekend too. If you practice, if you develop these qualities, uh, you will notice that they bring a real strength to the mind. They bring a real strength to the heart. And um, I think anyone who's just been alive for a while, let alone actually practicing for a while, can, can you know, just say from experience that the path needs strength. There are times when it really, what it needs is strength. And I don't mean a kind of macho, rigid strength. I mean a very <coughs> deep open and uh, pliant strength. And we, we do get challenged in life, and certainly the path challenges, challenges us. And really what we can uh, draw on is our strength, the qualities that strengthen the heart and strengthen the mind. And we absolutely need that. So these qualities, love, calmness, they're actually also qualities that are uh, what the Buddha would call wholesome nourishment. So this too is a very, very important factor in our lives. We're learning <coughs> where it is uh, that we find a really deep nourishment in life. And a, a nourishment that isn't addictive and isn't harmful to ourselves or others or... Um, frittering our energy and we're just learning how to really feed ourselves in the best possible ways by cultivating love by cultivating calmness to nourish ourselves in that way means to actually uh, develop happiness too because these qualities uh, to be cultivated actually are inherently uh, produce happiness inherently a mind filled with love is a happy mind a mind bright and calm is a happy mind. When there's a reservoir of happiness in our lives, it's, it's much, much easier to let go. Much, much easier. Then there's a strength there. We're not beggars in life. We're not so dependent outwardly. Do we have faith in this kind of investment? You know, we live our lives and the time goes by and, uh, well, to put it simply, death is approaching. <coughs> death is not far away. And what are we investing in? 
And it's, uh, of course, there's a place for stocks and shares and property and houses and, and all that. Of course, you know, that's part of what it is. But really, where's the deeper investment that we really can rely on? And to really be sure of that. And it's a sign of maturity in practice that one's really sure about that. As we're talking a little bit in the uh, <clears throat> in the question and answer period, some of the question and answer periods today as well, we have habits of agitation, of worry, of restlessness, of um, remorse, coldness, habits of aloofness. And actually cultivating these qualities is replacing those negative habits by good habits. So in a way we can speak of letting go, in a sense, of the negative habits and a freedom from the negative habits. Someone recently was saying how she just recently began practicing uh, loving-kindness practice and how almost immediately she noticed that <clears throat> there was quite some spaciousness that came with it. Perhaps that wasn't expected. And with that spaciousness some equanimity. In, in the spaciousness and equanimity, the letting go is almost uh, right there. It's, it's a natural quality of spaciousness and equanimity. And it comes out of the cultivation of, of love. So these qualities too, they uh, tend to refine our consciousness. So a mind uh, of calm, a mind of love, is actually... <clears throat> a mind that's more sensitive and able to look deeper than an agitated or a a cold, uh, angry mind. And as uh, a few of my teachers have said to me, don't don't worry about getting attached to that. Don't worry. Uh, Often times you you hear, oh, you you shouldn't because you'll get attached. Uh, But don't worry about that. These qualities are actually not that, uh, they don't actually bring that much attachment with them. And you can, if it does, you can worry about that later. There's good things to be attached to and there's, there's not so helpful things. So sometimes I think in practice we, we might have an idea and it sounds very simple and very, ah, great. Uh, just to be, <coughs> uh, the whole idea of just don't be attached to anything, just completely be non attached. And everything would just be groovy. <laughs> and that has a certain you know, charm to it. And, and, and certainly, actually, there, there is a place for approaching practice like that. For actually approaching practice, just from the point of view, I'm not going to attach to anything. That, that really does have its place as an approach. But sometimes, occasionally, you meet people, and it's actually just an excuse for laziness. <laughs> it's... Um, uh, um, what's probably a more important question is actually, is it working? Is it working? Uh, so I might have that view, but is it working? Am I feeling a freedom from it? And if it's not, it may be that actually we need to look at what needs cultivating. So, as I mentioned before, um, 
one of the areas that as as human beings we 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 tend to get attached is is to the roles that we uh, are in or fulfill or carry out <coughs> so uh I think it was last week I was teaching somewhere else and speaking to someone who he had been a light engineer in the theatre and had really enjoyed that work very much for I can't remember decades I think it was until about a few, uh, five or six years ago and now he, he said a curious thing actually and there was probably more to it than what I'm going to say but uh, he said and now I don't like myself because I'm not that anymore I don't do that anymore because the circumstances have changed and I don't do that anymore so I don't like myself now and uh, it probably is quite complicated but uh, in the course of the conversation actually asking the question well were you always a light engineer? Mm-hmm. and of, of course not you don't come out of the womb as a, as a <laughs> theatrical light engineer <laughs> and so of course there was decades before he was a light engineer he wasn't a light engineer and it wasn't a problem then that he wasn't a light engineer and somehow we build up this uh, whole view and rigidity of, of seeing things around roles we don't see that actually there's these huge gaps where we're not that thing and similarly during the decades that he was a light engineer was he a light engineer when he was fast asleep was he a light engineer when he was going to the store buying his groceries, you know, etc., etc.? So to actually bring some quite active reflection to, <coughs> uh, to pierce, uh, pierce holes in what seems so solid and rigid. And similarly, I asked him actually to reflect on happiness, that uh, were there times during the times that he was a light engineer when he wasn't happy? And I'm sure there were over decades. And similarly, since he was a light engineer, uh, were there times when he was happy? And again, I'm sure there were. So to see, sometimes we get all (coughs) entangled in something and and because we believe our happiness is wrapped up in that, and to actually just step back and ask, well, is it true about my happiness being wrapped up in that? Is it really true? So to actively uh, challenge these assumptions some of these assumptions we don't even realize we're making. Uh, I mean, for my part, my, my role here is that I, I live here as resident teacher. Now, if I, if, I <laughs> if I walked around the building all day thinking I'm the resident teacher, <laughs> resident teacher, it would be completely miserable. I mean, utterly miserable to, be, to, to feel trapped in, in that role all the time. So, so basically, I, I think about it as little as I can. <laughs> so only <laughs> and uh, only when it's really necessary <laughs> to step into that role do I then I then step into that role. And ho- hopefully, I, I carry it out. But um, uh, don't I have to carry this burden of roles. You know, when it's time to pick it up, pick it up. When it's time to put it down, put it down. Like this thing. When it's time to pick it up. Hit the bell, hit the bell. Otherwise, put it down. So, <clears throat> there's a sense of uh, being wrapped up and uh, attached and identified with roles. Also, generally, the, the sense of um, owning, o- ownership in life. 
So in a way we can talk about actually in, in Dharma language ownership being a bit of a myth or a lot of a myth and actually question the, the assumptions that we really even own anything anything at all the clothes that we wear, our possessions, our house, our car just actually begin to question that Uh, on perhaps an even closer level, can begin to even question uh, whether we own the body. Um. So, so natural, no, normal human tendency is, is to, to feel like we own the body, of course. Um, but actually, as, as, progress, as uh, practice progresses, uh, we can I give attention to the body and actually begin to see uh, the question might come up, do I really own this thing? Did I, did I create this? Did I fabricate it? No, it came from nature, and uh, if there's absolutely one thing that we can be sure of, it's that it's going back to nature sooner or later. And you can begin to actually sense, when just sitting there, mindfulness of the body sensations, the breath coming in and out, I have very little control in this. They're kind of just happening. It's all just happening. And similarly, how little control we have over the body, over our illness, when illness happens. You know, we can't, we don't plan our, you know, schedule in our illnesses for 2006. Uh, <clears throat> it's really out of our control. We tend to, uh, even at a deeper level, perhaps, we tend to actually take the life force personally. Uh, it's a very normal human thing, but there's a life force in the universe. We could talk in those terms, and we tend to take it personally, here, here's me and my life. Maybe, it's, maybe that's just a view, <coughs> a view of ourselves and a view of our lives. And similarly, we tend to take awareness personally. I, my awareness, my consciousness. Perhaps that's a view. Perhaps a, another way of looking might be to say something quite remarkable has happened in the universe the universe has become aware of itself. We are the universe. A part of the universe has become aware of the universe. How, how are these kind of shifts in view going to be uh, open to? And, and can we actually encourage that movement, that opening? So that's quite difficult with the body, with our, our consciousness, with our sense of our own life. <clears throat> but it's, it is possible, it absolutely is possible through practice. Sometimes I actually think uh, what's even more difficult than that, as sort of difficult as that may sound, is, that, is, is letting go a non-attachment in relation to people. Uh, things are quite easy, as, as one teacher said, you know, here, here's this glass, well, stick it there and say stay there and it, and it pretty much stays there but with a person you say you know do this <laughs> or something and of course uh, people don't they tend to have 
minds are their own and, <laughs> and wills are their own. Uh, and to, to actually just acknowledge this is it's obvious, but it's actually quite a deep thing to really, really fully take on board that we, we actually can't control people. We cannot control people. So, if we're interested in love and living with love, we have to somehow uh, really, really be interested in opening to that at a very deep level. We can't control how people are with us or how people are with themselves. And uh, I'm sure many of you have uh, relationships or loved ones and uh, see them occasionally or sometimes quite a lot actually harming themselves, doing in, in, engaged in activities and behavior and ways of thinking, of relating that are not really helpful. And we feel our in, inability to, to control them and, and it hurts. It's not easy to watch a loved one do that. So equanimity has to be a part of love. It has to be that our love uh, has that recognition of non-control and has a kind of steadiness to it and and a kind of spaciousness to it. There's a beautiful passage, some of you I'm sure will know, from uh, Khalil Gibran from The Prophet. He's talking about um, children and this non-ownership of others. And it says, And a woman who held a babe against her bosom said, Speak to us of children. And he said, Your children are not your children. They are the sons and daughters of life's longing for itself. They come through you, but not from you. And though they are with you, they belong not to you. You may give them your love, but not your thoughts, for they have their own thoughts. You may house their bodies, but not their souls. For their souls dwell in the house of tomorrow, which you cannot visit, not even in your dreams. You may strive to be like them, but seek not to make them like you. For life goes not backward, nor tarries with yesterday. You are the bows from which your children as living arrows are sent forth. The archer sees the mark upon the path of the infinite, and he bends you with his might, that his arrows may go swift and far. Let your bending in the archer's hand be for gladness, for even as he loves the arrow that flies, so he loves also the bow that is stable. It's not, it's not easy with, with uh, people that we love and that we feel connected to uh, to have that kind of openness. You may ask, well, well what then is the relation? We do have a responsibility. And perhaps we could say we have a responsibility to support the potential of another. Mm-hmm. To, to really support that potential. But 
we don't have control over. Similarly, it might be that uh, you know, a friend is a friend, a child is a child. They're my child, my friend, my lover, my spouse, my parent. And that's very true, and of course that's true, and we have the responsibility to those that uh, you know, life uh, throws close to us. Uh, we do have that responsibility, but in a way, they belong to life. And can we actually hold both these views at once? And we don't have control over when someone uh, may decide it's time to leave us, or they want to leave, or the relationship ends. And can there actually be this uh, gratitude and openness for the time together, for what brought uh, us together and the sharing there, and actually an openness that they belong to life and bless their onward journey? And this is not easy. So we may wonder, we may ask ourselves, and I think maybe we should ask ourselves, in in relationship, and it's not an easy question, what am I trying to get out of this relationship? This is not an easy question to ask, and not an easy question to answer. So oftentimes relationships are very complex, friendships are very complex, relationships with loved ones are very complex. What What am I seeking to get out of this? Sometimes there's some kind of self-image thing there that we're pumping ourselves up with. Sometimes it's fear that we're just uh, making a wall against fear. Sometimes there's a dependence there. And again, no judgment in this, but just to ask that we have that honesty and that willingness to look. Uh, But at the same time, we may be getting uh, something very beautiful and beneficial and mutually helpful out of a relationship. That we're actually... Attached in a in a good and, and lovely way, and I I very much think there's a part uh, a place for that in life. Of course, there's a place for that in life. Are we are we both opening in uh, in in love? In um, are we growing together? There's um. There's a very odd little poem by um, a mystic poet called Hafiz. And it says, um, if if I paraphrase, uh, it says, First the fish has to think, there's something kind of weird about this camel ride, and I am so damn thirsty. So, at first that just sounds very odd. Think, I think what he's getting at is um, the thirst we have in life, the suffering that we have in life, despite it's being a, a normal part of life, it's actually, um, in a way, it's something that's reminding us of the fact that, that we're attached, that something's not quite right, not quite natural, and the possibility to let go. And so this possibility in, in, in life, this actually the promise of the spiritual life, is that we can uh, find a freedom with uh, any conditions, inner or outer. 
That's that's the promise, and it's a, it's a it's a that's a big promise to me. <coughs> you know, that's not that's not a small promise, but that's the promise that actually human beings can know a freedom with whatever is going on internally or externally. Not to say, of course, that that's easy, and it's not always easy at all. But it, whatever is going on, there is the possibility of freedom with it. So forget about blanket statements for the rest of your life. Just whatever is going on, there is the possibility of freedom with it. Whatever it is, including death. So this question of, of suffering in life is very, uh, in the Buddha's uh, approach, in the Buddhist formulation, is very central. Most is always talking about suffering and the end of suffering. And so there is this promise, but there's a bit of a paradox here. Uh, the way that we maybe move towards that freedom actually involves we have to first the fish has to say you know first the fish has to think uh, we have to notice suffering we have to become quite sensitive actually to suffering in our life and we have to be willing and have the courage and openness to actually come close to it to really let's uh, to really touch suffering open to it, explore it, which is not something uh, not something that sounds like it's going to be that great. <laughs> um, and it's not, it's not that obvious that that would be a good thing to do. If suffering's there, I'll, I'd rather go that way. Um, but this is the way. We can only understand suffering by actually opening to it, by coming close to it, by touching it. So despite this promise of a spiritual life, there's a paradox. And to recognize when there's suffering, it's human. It's human. It's part of the human condition and it's normal. It's normal to suffer. It's normal to have suffering in one's life. And, and it's possible to find freedom with it. In opening to suffering, in coming close to suffering, we can begin to understand something, understand something very deep about suffering. Uh, We understand what's really important is how suffering arises. Actually, see very clearly uh, in, in our lives, in practice, on the cushion, off the cushion, see that suffering arises through clinging, through this attachment and grasping that I was talking about. And that becomes, as we open to suffering and have a look, what's going on here? How is it that the suffering is arising? Actually begin to see that, to feel the mechanism. And, and this becomes absolutely uh, crystal clear and unshakably clear. <coughs> that we, we learn through, through our experience that if the relationship is one of grasping, of pushing away, of pulling, of grabbing on, holding on, if it's that kind of clinging, there's going to be suffering there. And we feel it. And it's part of the practice to actually open to that feeling. And we learn at the same time, if we relax that clinging, uh, you can actually feel the ease, feel the constriction release. So the relationship is really where all the freedom lies.
finally, I just want to. Sometimes it's um, it's very it could be quite easy to get the impression uh, in 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 this path or in other paths that <coughs> what we're actually doing is sort of sitting here and being open and allowing all our old stuff, all our old accumulations, old karma to kind of bubble up and out. And that's uh, usually acknowledged to be a pretty unpleasant process that we just have to kind of open to and sit through and it will, it will come out. And, and we'll have let go of it and feel better and eventually be free of all of it. We just have to be with it and somehow what's stored inside will release itself. So, the Buddha really, really questioned such a view. He, he actually ridiculed people who held such a view. <clears throat> so it's, it's a very common view nowadays because of the sort of psychotherapeutic culture that we live in, even without realizing it. If you stop someone on the street uh, and, and ask them, you know, do you think that you have stuff from your childhood that perhaps could, you know, is stored somehow and you could release. Uh, that, I don't know, my sense is they'd probably agree whether they'd actually want to do that or not is a different question. Uh, but we live in that kind of culture with those kind of assumptions. Um, I think if, if we have that, that view of the path, it, it won't be long before we get pretty fed up and, and probably either try to explore something else or just give up entirely. So I wonder how we can actually understand in a different way, understand this process of letting go in a different <coughs> way, and how practice actually might help us to do that. So if we go back to this question of mindfulness and what mindfulness is, as I said, it has a couple of different aspects. So one aspect of mindfulness is this very sort of clear noticing of what's going on. Just very clearly, precisely noticing the breath, noticing sound, what body sensations, whatever. Another aspect of mindfulness, or complementary aspect of mindfulness, is this quality of acceptance. Actually just receiving experience, allowing, allowing, really accepting. It has a, almost like a kindness inherent in mindfulness. Sometimes we actually overemphasize the quality of paying attention to things, precisely knowing what's going on. What would happen if we actually began to emphasize the other aspect? So forgetting about the precision of noticing, and actually begin to emphasize this aspect of a real welcoming, almost like a radical kind of welcoming, a radical acceptance of whatever is going on, what would happen if that's what really got emphasized? What happens, and this, this is quite a deep thing to explore actually, but what happens is if we really, really just sit down and just really emphasize that acceptance, complete welcoming, complete, without any hidden agenda, just very open to what's going on, what can tend to happen is there's actually there begins to be a kind of softening or even um, a fading a fading of experience especially of unpleasant experience so something might be going on an unpleasant emotion or body sensation 
And if we're actually, instead of just trying to be so precise with the noticing, actually just really emphasizing this openness, this acceptance, this welcoming. Yeah, come. Open, wide open door. Wide open door. Everything just arising and going. Not holding. Just really put the emphasis there. There's this softening and fading. What seemed to be unpleasant can actually begin to lose its unpleasantness. What seemed to be a difficult emotion can actually fade. Uh, one of uh, a retreatant was saying the other day something uh, that she felt a sadness, and when she uh, brought her attention to it, it seemed to actually increase the sadness. When she actually relaxed around the sadness and just uh, with a welcoming acceptance, it actually the sadness seemed to go away. And she was quite puzzled by this. Actually seeing that two things. One, as I said, the relationship is what's crucial in suffering. If we can have uh, a relaxed relationship with things, that takes away the suffering. It eases the suffering. The second thing, and it's an even deeper insight, is to realize that the reaction that we have to something is actually part of what's making the thing itself. In other words, if I have a difficult emotion, if I have a difficult, something unpleasant going on, my reaction to it, uh, if I'm pushing, if I'm clinging, if I'm holding on, if I'm grasping, clinging, that's actually part of what's building it. If I can relax that clinging, actually the thing has, it, it it can't build itself. So what that means is that nothing, nothing, inner or outer, exists in a way that's independent of how I'm looking at it, of my relationship to it. This is completely counterintuitive. Completely. Uh, What it means is that we're actually intimately interconnected with everything. There's nothing that's separate from awareness, from the mind, from what we're bringing to anything. So interconnected, that actually goes beyond words, and the word interconnection actually doesn't even do it justice. It's more of a sort of breakdown of of the concepts of separate things. It's an interpenetration. We say in in Dharma language, things are empty of of being uh, inherently existing or existing independently. To, to open to this, to begin to see it, <coughs> is uh, really the beginning of a very, very deep freedom in life. When we see this, not only intellectually, but the, the sun <coughs> really goes down and we feel it in the cells, and we feel it in the heart, then uh, this is actually the deepest kind of letting go, the deepest kind of freedom comes from that. We don't think in terms of me being separate from you, me being separate from the world. With that end of separation, end of alienation, there is an end of suffering, end of problem. And we can see this at deeper and deeper levels, and it is available to us. I mean, it might sound a bit abstract now, but it's very much available to us as human beings, through practice, through reflection.
we just sit quietly for a few minutes together? Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.